Hello and welcome to A Very Full Plate, the podcast where we're all about real food talk with real parents. Your hosts for today are Amy, a natural foods chef and mom of two, and Emily, a professional home organizer and mom of three. Take it away, ladies. Hi, friends. Thanks for joining us. I'm your co-host, Amy. I turn parents into kitchen ninjas to help them feed their families healthy food more often. I'm all about balance, real life, and having fun in the kitchen. You can find me at cookingwithafullplate.com and my Facebook page of the same name. Hey, guys. This is Emily. I'm a professional organizer who helps my clients simplify their lives so that they can experience harmony in their homes again. You can follow me on Facebook or Instagram or visit hallharmonyhomes.com. Come along with us while we celebrate our small victories and laugh at our challenges. And thank you so much for listening. Shannon is our expert of the month as we talk about conscious food purchasing, Um, but she's also a really good friend, which is why we're here talking about limits on social media (laughs) and why we can have these conversations. So Shannon and I met back in the day when both of us were getting into food via our natural food chef culinary training program or whatever the official name of it was. And I've had the honor of staying connected with Shannon just over the years. Um, We shared like this mutual love of food and we both lived in San Francisco and we have since both moved away and have three kids between us. And um, it has been a really fun adventure to just like have that good friendship last and Shannon has been a supporter of the podcast, which I'm so appreciative of oh, yeah. as we got it, got Number it one fan. <laughs> and, and so I've been waiting for the perfect opportunity to have Shannon on to share more about this conscious food purchasing. And I, I can't even think of like the right words to call it. So our topic of the month is like something along the lines of conscientious food choices. And I'm going to go into a little Mm -hmm. bit more detail about what I mean by that to set the context for what we're going to cover in this interview. Because I think as parents, it's like, I'm just trying to get dinner on the table half the time. So it can feel like a lot to be like, oh no, there's other things I should consider when it comes to food as well. Um, Yeah. Yes. And Mm -hmm. one of the rules that I've set in my membership group is that there's no guilt allowed. So Wanting to feed your family better is not something that you're allowed to start feeling guilty about all the things you're not doing. Because if you're trying, that means you're like heads and shoulders above where many folks are and Mm -hmm. that it's on your radar. And I think like trying is the precursor to doing better. And so my goal with this interview and interviews that we will have throughout the rest of the month around things like soil health Um, the goal is not to give you another thing on your to-do list that you like need to do. Instead, the idea is to really like open up the conversation around what does it make sense to spend more money on when it comes to food? What doesn't it make sense to spend more money on? What might I put on my radar for like future decision-making? And what are things that like maybe for my family, I don't care about. So it's really more like an information gathering expedition, But why I'm really excited to have Shannon on is because not only is she someone who has worked in the professional food space on sourcing, but she's also a mom who does this in a way that does not exist in my house at all. So I think she has some really interesting perspectives to provide around like some super practical ways that you can make more conscious and conscientious food choices without driving yourself crazy. So if nothing else, I hope people will get some new information for themselves, but also maybe get like one thing from you that they can do better on. Does that make sense? 
All right. So Shannon, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and what your family looks like? And then we'll dive into some questions that I have for you about food purchasing. Okay. So I <laughs> live in San Diego and I have one son, Jake, he's three and a half. And I work part-time for a food service company doing like kind of general operations and managing our purchasing. Um, and I also cook a ton at home and probably prioritize that over other extracurricular activities because I enjoy it, um, even if my son doesn't really eat any of it. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the mom struggle is real. Like I will tell yeah. you guys because I've eaten Shannon's food. She's an amazing cook. Like her flavors are so interesting and fun. And I say that to assure you that if your kids aren't eating, it's not because you're not a good cook. It's because yeah. they're kids. Because if Shannon's yeah. son won't eat her cooking, then like the rest of us are doomed. Yeah. He thinks he calls it all spicy, even though it's not spicy. It's just, you know, flavor. <laughs> and so that's, just, yeah, we're all in the same boat. And uh, I definitely benefited from the picky eating series you did because oh nice it made me feel better about just okay I put it there um but I think you know I I work around food you know on a larger scale but we're just feeding adults at work so that is always a lot more satisfying um, <laughs> <laughs> in terms of like the reception of our food and having customers who really care about where their food's coming from so you know I'm glad to have that outlet too to feel like it's not all like a lost cause <laughs> It's so true. It, you know, have you ever seen those calculations that are like, this is how much a stay at home mom would make and they like calculate everything. I feel like there should be a bonus for feeding ungrateful yeah. recipients that yes. like even in the food industry, most people don't deal with. <laughs> no. And, uh, you know, my husband, George, you know, he has a big appetite and he will happily eat whatever I make, but he's not the most discerning. So again, you know, it's, it's mostly I'm doing it for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's dedication and love of cooking. Yeah. It's, it's, self, it's, it's so funny because I've mentioned on the podcast before that my husband, Greg is like, he is super open to eating anything. He's a really adventurous eater, but he is discerning, which I feel like mm -hmm. is somewhat my fault. Like I've, you know, taken him to enough restaurants and we like really enjoy eating out together that now we like talk about food and have critiques yeah. on it. And sometimes I love you, babe. He listens and he's going to hear mm -hmm. this, but um, he'll be like, I don't know, like just this, like the other night we had something that's part of this week's meal plan for my member um, my membership participants, that's like a vegan bolognese. And I was like mm -hmm. bracing myself, like he's going to tell me he doesn't like this recipe and I'm not remaking it. Yeah. And his feedback was like, I just think it should have a thicker pasta noodle, which was absolutely valid feedback. Like I was using a uh -huh. really thin angel hair noodle and it was a really thick, hearty sauce. And so he has really good feedback, but sometimes I'm like, this is not feedback time. This is yeah. just like Amy made dinner congratulations time. It's like the food equivalent of a rhetorical question. Like, no, I wasn't, I wasn't, did not need that. Or does my butt look big in these jeans? Like yeah, the answer is yeah. always the same, regardless of, the, yeah. of what the jeans actually look like. And George definitely, my husband will, you know, I think if he's had too many nights of my style of cooking, he'll after tennis or work just go and get in and out or a burrito and that actually works out really well because it like keeps you know I I don't care what he eats really you know he's an he's a grown grown adult but yeah. it is nice that you know we can have that balance and he can still get his like comfort foods 
Definitely. So I think that's the perfect segue into, can you tell us a little bit about what your style of cooking is? Mm -hmm. Well, I'd say it's, um, to speak like a chef, which I am not, it's ingredient driven. (laughs) Okay. I like Um, that. that. You know, I basically let the food that I get through our CSA, which I think you've talked about CSAs before, but you know, community supported agriculture. So like a farm box that we get every week. Um, I kind of let that dictate what I'm going to make. And then I have, you know, I'd say I use a lot of spices, but not, not spicy ones. Despite mm-hmm. what my Just like flavor. Thinks. You add like yeah. a lot of layers of flavor. Yeah. And I always make like really, I definitely am a big proponent of sauces. So I just like, don't like having dry grains, proteins. Like I think you've talked about how having like these components makes it so much easier to have a meal like ready to go. And for me, it's really like, I can eat the same thing or get everyone to eat the same thing multiple times. If it's not dry, like if it's, if it's like, not yeah like a good sauce basically well and I think there's two important pieces of that one is I made this like roasted veggie it had kabocha squash and brussels sprouts and it was just like brown rice and I used tofu but you can use chickpeas or chicken but Mm -hmm. I made this really good like lemon tahini sauce over the top and I think that's the perfect example like things like that and I know you do the same are like ways to elevate otherwise kind of boring food like there weren't even any spices on the veggies it was just salt and pepper and olive oil yeah um but also it's a way that I serve the same thing to my family in different ways and you mentioned Mm -hmm. our picky eating month but the episode where we really dove into picky eating the most most I believe was episode 20 with Natalia Stasenko, where we talked about eating around. And she talks about the importance of serving something you love, but also serving Mm -hmm. something you know your kids will eat. So in the example of that like veggie bowl, I knew they weren't going to eat the tahini dressing, but they did like the tofu and they did actually like the Brussels sprouts. And so cooking that way allows you to like break things down into components so that you can feed your whole family the same meal, even if they have a little bit different taste. Right. And I don't, I would say I, um, my other style of cooking is I don't make a separate meal for Jake, my son, I'll like kind of following that, having a safe food for them. You know, we use those little compartment plates a lot. The, mm-hmm. That's like one big one and two little ones. Same. And, if I'm ever making something that I kind of think or know he probably won't like, I just make one of those little compartments yogurt, like plain yogurt mm. with a big spoonful of peanut butter, which is his comfort food, I would say. Nice. And he will always eat that, and he doesn't seem to realize that I just put it there so that, like, he always has something. And it's not every night, but it's most times – I'd say it's, like, you know, four out of seven dinners. Um, I'll do that, and then I'll also – definitely do it when I'm like, oh, this is mostly vegetables or there's too many raw foods here, you know, that sort of thing. Um, But yeah, I don't cook an extra meal. I just make things a lot less spicy than I used to. And I, I tend to do more component style meals rather than, you know, one big dish like a casserole or a stew, because I've learned that those don't go over as well. Yeah. Um, And then I can't repurpose it in the same way that I can component style cooking. But component style cooking is also good for, you know, when you're when you have really good ingredients, which you know, I feel like I don't have to do as much to them because I'm getting like such good stuff, you know? Yeah. So you mentioned having a CSA and I will say that Mm -hmm. I'm totally jealous. So Shannon is based in San Diego, I think, as you mentioned earlier and in Seattle, as you know, because she also lived in Seattle, not at the same time, sadly, that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) Um, 
we don't have the same access to year-round local produce. And so I do think that's a little bit of a deterrent. But I'm curious, like, what what makes you – how do I want to ask this question? What is it about a CSA that appeals to you? And how would you talk to someone who hasn't used one before about the benefits both to your – families eating and cooking, but also the benefits that go beyond that. Yeah. So I think, you know, the first would be the benefits to your family because it is something you're paying for. So it's got to be, you know, worthwhile to you. Yes. Um, I think it definitely, it, it keeps things interesting. Like I do think long-term that Jake will reap the benefits of my creative cooking uh, by, because he sees and like recognizes a lot of different vegetables, even if he's not super Mm. interested in them. Um, so I'd say it keep like we have a lot of variety in our in our eating. You know, it's not like I have a grocery list and I get the same things every week. And we get our CSA on Thursdays. So I basically like wait till Thursday and see what we get. And and it's usually like a lot of salad greens and then smaller amounts of other types of fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I. I think we end up like I have to use up all these greens. So we eat a lot of salads, which again, Jake's not like going to eat a lot of lettuce, but it forces me to make a salad interesting and add other things that I think he will eat, you know, and he'll just like pick out the non or the non lettuce things and, and eat them. Um, And then the CSA also is super fresh. Like I have very, I very rarely have to waste anything. You know, you hear some people saying like, well, I get a CSA and I don't use it all like then it's then I have to throw away all these these rotten produce items but they're so fresh that if you store them right basically like take the tops off of things and store them in breathable bags in your fridge like mesh bags like they don't really go bad or if you just wash the salad greens and put them in a salad spinner they last there for like a week or two which for most people is going to be a long enough time to you know you could have a salad with every meal, even if you were only making dinner like twice a week. And that, that would still sure. you know, through it. So yeah, I find that I don't waste anything because, you know, it lasts a long time. It's just, it has just been picked. Like it, you know, whereas lots yeah. of the grocery store, as you probably know from working in one, and I've seen from a food service perspective, like stuff is not super fresh like you can look at the pack date and the pick date now on some items like especially in California um there are more rules around around like farm traceability and it is amazing when you see something like how were these carrots like harvested you know two months ago that's crazy yeah um and I'm sure your your expert who's coming on later to talk about soil health will be able to speak to the health benefits some more but I do I'm not a scientist but anecdotally like you there are more nutrients and fresher produce I mean it's just like the life you know it's like the half-life of all that stuff you know and so it's better I do feel like it's fresher it's healthier and I just like feel better cooking it like the benefit to me is that it's more fun to cook like something that's beautiful and exciting um than you know just like boring stuff. Well, and I think the proof is in the pudding with this, right? Like if you go to any sort of like ingredient focus is the word you use to describe your cooking, but I think it describes a lot of restaurants cooking too, is it's always fascinating like how little they've actually done to the food that's on your plate. And I think so much of that comes from the quality of the ingredients. And, you know, I think also like local, I mentioned this in, I think our last episode, but 
Um, you know, like tomatoes are now bred to have thicker skins and be more hardy because they're put in these huge trucks that you've seen driving down the freeway and they can't be crushed. You would have tomato sauce at the bottom. And Mm -hmm. so they're selecting for things that are not flavor focused when the primary goals are to like have something that can store for a long time, have something that can be shipped a far away and have something that looks like consistently beautiful. So like round and shiny versus kind of like misshapen, which a lot of produce naturally actually looks like. Um, And so for those things, it's like a CSA or buying locally or going to a farmer's market, which I know is something you do and I try to do with the kids as well. Like those are all ways that you can get better ingredients, support the things you want to be supporting and have more high nutrient foods because they're grown more locally. They're grown more conscientiously in terms of what goes mm-hmm. in the soil, which again, I'm not a scientist either. So we'll explore that in a future yeah, episode. I can't wait um, to look that actually. <laughs> and, um, and that they just, you know, it's also a way to expose your kids to different things too. And expose yourself. Like, you know, I'm totally in the habit of being like, I buy broccoli and cauliflower and bell peppers and cherry tomatoes every week because I know that's Mm -hmm. what my family will eat. And I've always appreciated that like going to the farmer's market or getting a farm box or that sort of thing opens your eyes to like, like, oh, I didn't think about buying kabocha squash, but here one is, I guess I better do something with it. Yeah, totally. And, you know, San Diego, we are lucky, like you mentioned, we have a year round growing season here. Um, because our it's kind of like a subtropical sort of climate in terms of like what you can grow and harvest. So, you know, we're not stuck with just like potatoes during the winter. Um, you know, they can yeah. grow. There's not a lot of frost days, basically. And San Diego, which this is something I've learned through work, like San Diego County has more small farms than like other ca- any county in the U.S. Uh, oh. It's like, actually a very rural, rural area, just not, you know, people think of San Diego is very suburban, which it is, but there's also a lot of open space. But, you know, the regulations around agriculture, small scale agriculture, especially in California, which is a, you know, high regulatory state, uh, it's really tough to be a small farmer. And that's something we see at work, like when we're trying to source directly from local farms and something that I've learned more about through our CSA, like they just had to stop Uh, giving us eggs in our CSA box because Mm. the regulations on, you know, commercially like producing eggs are so strict that they can't afford it. They can't afford the time and labor, even though their chickens are like the happiest chickens you've ever seen. You know, like literally when we went there, we were petting them and giving them like oranges fresh from the tree. You know, they live like a great life, but yeah, basically the, they were shut down. Like they can't sell the eggs anymore. And so there is the aspect too, when you're talking about, what else does it go beyond, you know, and, and in terms of having a cause that I feel like our family can support. Um, yeah. And it's very tangible. So I like that, you know, it's something I can explain to Jake and versus us supporting something that he is like kind of above his, you know, intelligence right now. Yeah. Like he's three, So he understands, you know, farms and food, it's tangible. We go there when they have, you know, you pick or volunteer days. Um, and they also have programs, you know, San Diego has big, uh, armed services, like contingent here. We have multiple bases and they have a couple, our, our CSA farm works with a couple organizations that help like feed military families who don't have the money to like eat this sort of food, but want it. So then we have the option to like donate our 
donate shares, CSA shares to them. And I really, I like that option too. Like it's kind yeah, of, that's awesome. to, yeah. So it's just so kind of a feel good thing. One of the things that you brought up, I think beyond a feel good thing is like, there will be people listening who are like, I only know there's organic and there's not organic. Mm -hmm. And so I want to dig a little bit more into um, this idea of connecting with where your food comes from. Cause that's actually how this topic came up is like, we are so disconnected from our food. Like our cauliflower, even at Whole Foods, like shows up wrapped in plastic. And Mm -hmm. there's this inclination to think like, it just shows up that way. Like, I don't know how it got here or why it looks like that. Or like the eggs are in a curtain and they're there and, and there they are. And I think that this is an important consideration for parents from the perspective of being able to explain it to our kids, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. but also as buyers who we vote with our dollars. Like that's just the reality is that as consumers, we tell industry what is important to us by spending our dollars on certain things. So I want to dig a little bit more into the sourcing idea and maybe you could talk about it from like both a work perspective, like what do conscious purchasing organizations consider when it comes to food, but also talk a little bit about what's important to you beyond just produce in your CSA when you're like making buying decisions for your family. Mm-hmm. So I I think animal protein is super important. Like I, um, that was kind of a pain point for me until I found like a good local source for meat because I just have a hard time with the animal welfare issues, like mm-hmm. with big meat. Um, just to use the yeah <laughs> a media term there, but you know it kind of sums it up. Like CAFOs, the confined animal feeding operations, and just all the practices around meat production in the U.S. Uh, so yeah. Uh, that I'm going to pause you there for a second, because if people want to learn more, we're not going to dig into it a ton here because it's a, it's a sensitive subject and it's like a hard thing to talk about, which I know because I used to teach a three hour training at Whole Foods and we had to like tiptoe through the tulips around like, don't say slaughter, um, (laughs) like say harvest, which I'm like, it's harvesting is, you don't harvest an animal. Like they they are killed so we can eat them. Sorry. Um, but, but, um, it is a sensitive subject, but if you want to know more and obviously like I'm biased towards Whole Foods, but they have some really cool stuff going on um, related to their animal welfare system. And there's a five step animal welfare system, the global animal partnership that you can also look into. And I'll include all those links in the show notes. If you're interested in understanding a little bit more around like, what does it look like to raise animals with animal welfare in mind, which will also give you a picture into like, what does it look like if you raise animals without animal welfare in mind, Yeah, (laughs) which is the sticky part of the conversation and not the most fun thing to talk about. Um, But I'm going to offer those resources if you want to know more about this, because I think you brought up an important point of like, how do you feel good about feeding your family meat if animals are some, a being that you care about? Yeah, exactly. Non-human animals, if it matters. And, you know, it's not my place to judge if it does, but, you know, in in terms of the conversation, yeah, uh, you know, if you're in the position where you can care, basically. Um, yeah. And, and there are different there are different ways and different levels of caring, right? Totally. So like for me, what it looks like is showing up at Whole Foods and they have their the five step animal welfare yeah. ratings. And if I have an option to buy something that's like step five, which is the highest, I will try and do that if it's in my budget and it works with what I'm making. Totally. And if I can't, then I will make the choices that are there and know that even step one is better than what I might be buying blindly from somewhere else I'm purchasing from. Right. right. 
Um, mm-hmm. For you, it sounds like that looks like finding a small local farm where you really have like more of a picture into how the animals are raised. And I think that's fantastic for people who have access and budget and right. knowledge and know how to like use those products because they're not going to give you ground chicken. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I've had to definitely ask our CSA person a couple times and, you know, what do I do with a chuck roll? Like I can't, the internet is not telling me, you know, and um, do I have to smoke it? Like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. But, um, is this stew meat? I don't know. Yeah. Can you label it? Well, that's my like... default when I'm like, does it do? Yeah. <laughs> Mind you, does this look tough? Is there not yeah. a lot of fat in it? Does stew. this instant pot? Yes. <laughs> So, okay, yeah. okay, so you talked about like animal like animal product purchasing was a sticky point for you and you've mm-hmm. solved that by going to like a small local farm. Um, yeah, what and to a- be fair, like sometimes if we're having people over for dinner, I'm like, oh, I know they don't like red meat. And you know what would really be great would be like chicken marbella. Like I'm going to go to Whole Foods or Trader Joe's and get the best chicken thighs I can, but mm-hmm. I'm still going to just do it. You know, like it's just, it's not, you know, I'm not perfect. Yeah. And that's one <laughs> of the things I love about you that I want to make sure we touch on is like when I go to Shannon's house, there's definitely still stuff from Costco. So this is oh, not yeah. like oh, I some love Costco. idyllic yeah like situation where you cook everything from scratch. So I'd be interested to know, like when you're at Costco, how do you make those choices? Yeah. Well, Costco, I feel like has some real gems. Like I like the uh, frozen wild salmon fillets. Yeah. I get those. Um, the, I think they're sockeye. Yeah. Alaskan sockeye salmon. And I also get the, Sometimes I get the Adele's chicken sausages, but I definitely wear my family out on those. So I try to mix it up and they have, I think they have these at a lot of West Coast or even I talked to a friend in Texas who has them at her Costco. They're Teton Teton Waters. It's like a grass fed yes. sausage company. And those like they even have really nice hot dogs. So those like I bought those all summer, you know, just for barbecuing. So I try to look for, you know, those same phrases like grass fed, pasture raised. Um, I buy a lot of cheese at Costco. Because I, I use a lot of cheese in my cooking. And yeah. I feel like it just adds something. You know, I try to buy big things of, like, nice Parmesan and Gruyere and Pecorino. And then, you know, whiz it in the food processor and store it in, like, a jar all mixed together in my fridge. And then I just can put that on, like, anything, basically. Yes. I was going to I was gonna prompt you to share that if you didn't, which was, like, yes. this was mind-blowing. It's, like, Shannon had taken a block of Parmesan mm-hmm. and just, like, used the food processor to talk to like get it into tiny pieces. So it was almost like it was like real, a real food consistency time. of the green shaker. I exactly. Know. But like super high quality and it so was like flavorful. kept in a glass mason jar and t- it sounds like it took almost nothing, but the flavor it added to made a huge difference. I think we had it on eggs. Maybe did you make a crispy Parmesan eggs? eggs a lot? Yeah. And I find that, you know, I like to buy those sorts of things in large quantities so mm-hmm. Costco is a great place. I also buy like all my nuts and seeds at Costco. Um, nice. And I don't worry about buying those organic um, unless it's, you know, happens to be available there. Yeah. Um, just, it's just not as something I prioritize as much given like how they're sprayed while, still, okay. you know, in terms of something that's sprayed directly like a produce item versus something that's sprayed while it's still in the shelf. 
Yeah. Let's, let's talk more about that. Cause I think that's an important Mm -hmm. question that I get from folks a lot. And like organic is kind of the jumping off point to what I'm calling conscious purchasing, which I think Mm -hmm. like is the thing people are most familiar with is like, do I buy organic? Do I buy not organic? And I always feel like the easiest place to start is with the dirty dozen list. Um, totally. I'll put a link to that because it's kind it's always changing year over year. It really so I try is. to stay educated on mm-hmm. it. But you gave an important point, which is like for me, the easiest way to know whether I'm going to prioritize organic or not, given the cho- given the option, is like, would this get pesticides sprayed directly on it? And am I eating the skin? So like right. a bell pepper, I try to buy organic, an orange, maybe not so much. And that's just like, that's just like baseline knowledge. I don't know what pesticides they're using on either. And there's like so many layers of intricacies, but I feel like as a guide, that can be a really easy one. And so you said something with the nuts there that I love, which is like, it's not a place that I prioritize organic. Right. It's Yeah. And it's, there's also, and this was something I kind of learned through my years of purchasing work at like at large food service companies. Yeah. And my last role, we, you know, we did some studies and like some life cycle analyses on like an organic whatever item it is versus a conventional one. And when you're trying to purchase something at scale, which Costco is, right? If they're selling organic almonds, they're they're looking for huge organic almond farms. Like so monoculture where you're only growing one thing over huge tracts of land, that's not great for biodiversity, for soil health, mm. for the wildlife that lives there. It's also not great when it's done organically like it's still just kind of out of sync with the natural rhythms of things so sometimes I just try to be more conscious of the amount of something I'm using rather than if it's organic or not again this is talking about things that are not fresh produce um yeah you know beans and grains and nuts and seeds like you know they're not great It's an interesting case for variety, right? Like you talked about variety earlier in its importance to introducing your son to different things and how that impacts him. But I'm thinking as you're talking that like I have a ton of coconut products in my house or like chickpeas are like a thing that I'm always having at our house. And it makes me think like adding variety in that way can be an interesting way to like sort of diversify not just your family's palate, but also like the agriculture landscape as well. For me, like I realize I use a ton of coconut products. We eat a Mm -hmm. lot of chickpeas and it's made me think that adding variety could be beneficial both to my family, but also the impact we have environmentally in our purchasing, just being like, Hey, let's have some lentils. Let's have some medzuki beans. Like let's add in some things that we're not normally eating so that we can like diversify our impact from our purchasing. Oh, totally. And just, you know, obviously one family doesn't make a huge difference, but it's, it's what like it's shared with your friends, your family, your community. And, you know, I do like share that, you know, we have people over for dinner a lot just because I like having more people to cook for than, you know, my unwilling audience. And, (laughs) um, you know, when someone's like, Oh, what's this, you know, weird thing? Like, Oh, well, let me tell you, not trying to proselytize, but just share, you know, then that it keeps things interesting. But Costco, you know, it's again easy, I think, with, to fall into the rut of buying the same things there. And sometimes I do buy some of the same stuff like all the time. But I I do try to be mindful of it and not overly rely on like nuts and certain grains. Um, yeah. Which can be easy when you're trying to like cook from scratch and have mostly a plant based diet, despite like our 
you know, buying meat from our CSA, that sort of thing. It's expensive. So we probably eat less meat than, well, we definitely eat less meat than the average American family just because it's expensive and, you know, we just eat less of it, um, less frequently. That actually brings me to a question that we had talked about ahead of time that I think would be interesting here because I know it will come up, which is like, how do you, um, decide what you're going to spend more on or how do you balance your food budget when Mm -hmm. these things that you're talking about are naturally more expensive? What is your strategy for that? Well, I stretch, I stretch the protein for sure. Mm. You know, uh, well, I might, instead of making like two skirt steaks, like I'll make one, but I'll also, I'll make like a super flavorful sauce or I might like yeah, add some beans to it. Or even like then if I'm trying to make something more meaty, I, I try to keep like really flavorful things like dried meats, like, you know, a little chorizo or a fancy salami, which sometimes I do get from Costco. Um, and just find that I can add like extra flavor with very small amounts of things rather than being like, here is our chicken breast, which yeah. I like never get chicken breast because I also don't think they have much flavor. Um, and I'd rather cook a smaller amount of something that's like really rich and wonderful. Yeah. I think that's a great point is like, I do use a fair amount of chicken breast in my recipes because I know it's something that's like really accessible to families, but where I feel like they work best is like, you know, shredded Buffalo chicken over sweet potato. And that naturally sort of makes it less or last night I made um, a pad CU and we used Mm -hmm. one chicken breast, like half a pound of chicken for like a very filling meal for Greg and I, because it was like all these noodles and broccolini. And then just like, we didn't need that much chicken to fill us up. And frankly, it could have had even more noodles. He was complaining at the end. He's like, I don't want this chicken. I want the noodles with the sauce on it. Right. (laughs) And that's how I feel like it is. You know, I always make more than I think I need of a starch or a grain. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if it's something like, you know, fancy toast that we're having, like a a broccoli melt, you know, on good, on good bread. It's like, you know, that's a pretty cheap meal, but it, it eats fancy. Yes. Um, Yes. And and then we also like we'll get takeout sometimes like maybe you know our local middle eastern place has like a kids eat free night and we always do the kids eat free night and it's like a special treat you know yeah. and, um so i also don't have to make my son lunch every day because his school has like an optional hot lunch program nice. that is you know price appropriate so i think in some ways i save money with that cuz i'm not making food from home that he won't eat because he's like, I want hot lunch. Yes. <laughs> no, I don't want another sun butter sandwich. <laughs> that that nut free thing is a real challenge for me. We are allowed to have nuts at our school, which I'm so grateful for. Because he'll he'll just take a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every day. Yeah. <laughs> which is ridiculous. But well, we weren't allowed to, to have judge. sesame either for a while because there was a child sure. in class with a sesame allergy, which is totally legitimate, but I found I was really relying on hummus. Um, and you know, so that also helped me be more creative or just want him to have hot lunch. Isn't it funny (laughs) how we like fall into our habits too? Yeah. Here's your hummus and crackers every day. Speaking (laughs) of hummus, um, Mm -hmm. there's a really delicious caramelized onion, organic hummus. Mm -hmm. I think it's by hum H U M M that I found at Costco. It is oh, really? so okay. good. And I feel like it's one of those perfect yeah. examples of what we've been talking about. Part of why I bring it up is it's not perfect. 
um, because it does have canola oil in it, but it is organic. And so it's one of those places that for me, I'm always like constantly judging like, okay, is this better? Does this make sense for my family? And for me, like that was an easy option because honestly, like I'm not that good at making hummus and I always think it tastes better when I buy it. And that's just the reality. so So easy. Yeah, I know. Half the time mine is like really bland or yeah. tastes like raw garlic. <laughs> or mine gets really dry and somehow like you have I to think add because so I'm, much tahini, which exactly. is hard to do. Sometimes you're like really this much. <laughs> and the flavor then like really overpowers it. And so I see that that's yeah. why canola oil is added to most exactly. store-bought hummuses. But yes. it's also a place where I'm like sort of okay, like I wouldn't I wouldn't use canola oil at home, but this is made for me and it's organic. And so it's a mm-hmm. better choice. And that's, that's one of the ways that I kind of look at things when I'm making purchases is like, how can I do better? Even if it's just right. incrementally, but also within the confines of like what my life looks like. Yeah. And I keep some frozen things. Um, I know we've talked about frozen vegetables. I just like can't get myself to like frozen vegetables. Mm. I think, I don't know why. I think it reminds me of like growing up when my parents would try to get me to eat vegetables that were frozen and I just didn't like them. Yes. You know? But I do keep some frozen meal. I guess you could call them meals. Like, you know, sometimes I'll do like the pot stickers or dumplings from Trader Joe's. I keep like frozen samosas from Whole Foods. Um, just things that I can, like if I have bits and bobs, but I want something like a little more filling or something that makes like a bunch of boring things exciting. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, the samosas are going to go over super well, you know? So yes. I will also do that. And, um, the other thing I feel like I do in your guest interview with the pediatric dietitian, uh, when she was talking about protein, like I found validating because I do look at some of our meals and like, this is a com a a whole bunch of interesting stuff, but there's not one like central protein yes. here. And I said, okay, that's okay. So I, I find that that helps me too. Like when I'm kind of trying to use up various things from our CSA or I didn't start cooking dinner till you know, almost six, yes. that I don't worry about protein. I'm more worried about variety. Yes. And I think you brought up two important things there. One is in our interview with Natalia Stasenko, that was episode 20. Um, she talks about like how it's really more of like looking at the balance of nutrients over a week's time frame, not just on a mm-hmm. daily or in, certainly not on a meal by meal basis. And that there's very little, um, evidence that protein is something we need to be concerned about. Those of us who live in the United States and are eating like right. generally We're lucky to have <laughs> exactly we, that have, we, we can afford enough. Mm-hmm. those are not the things that we're lacking in. And she listed some other things right. that are like iron and zinc and some other nutrients yeah. that are what we should and actually fiber, worry about. You know. mm-hmm. And so I yeah. love that idea of just like breaking out of this model of like, here's a protein and here's some vegetables. But I also love the picture you painted of like pot stickers alongside like some CSA roasted vegetables. Oh yeah. Not <laughs> stuff that goes with pot stickers. <laughs> or it does, but either way, yeah, this like, usually this not constant like push and pull of 
um, making better choices where you can, but also being realistic for your family where you need to and mm-hmm. and that we're all finding this balance and that's part of what we're going to explore in the future episodes this month are just like the really nitty-gritty details of like what goes into all of these conscious purchasing choices so that you can say like oh I am going to buy local vegetables because they have more nutrients and I feel better about it and I'm supporting a local farm but that doesn't mean I'm not also purchasing um you know, those like dried fruit balls from Costco that I love. Oh, we always <laughs> buy those. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of thing. And, um, yeah, I don't make everything from scratch. I think you've touched on how like in the past you would make like condiments. And I feel like sometimes you were like talking about me cause you know, we wouldn't make, I remember you were making garlic salt once. <laughs> Or like talking about oh my God. I don't even remember making garlic salt, but I don't remember a lot of things. And I'm sure uh-huh. that I did it because it sounds like something I would have done. Or for our wedding, I made like custom herb salts. Oh, I remember. Yeah. That were like and dried and fresh. And like, I made my wedding dessert. That was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Shannon um, also like made our, we did make a lot of food for my wedding and you like laid did. out these beautiful platters. If I can find a picture, I'm going to come, I'm going to put in the show notes, a picture of the platters that Shannon and I built for my wedding, which is yeah. not to make anyone feel bad, but to give you a picture that like even us people who have find a lot of joy in cooking from scratch mm-hmm. and who have the knowledge to cook from scratch and who have done it a lot of times. Like this parenting thing for me has really flipped things on its head and required me to be like, what's important? Anything that's not important, like it's over here <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to like simplify it as much as possible. And so that looks like finding crackers that I feel okay about. And I've definitely yeah. talked about this oh where like gosh. I used to make crackers. my own crackers. I know like, you did. You it's like, just take the almond pulp from making your own almond milk and <laughs> do this and make them into crackers. And it is, it's laughable because I don't do any of that now. Like I just so can't, I can't. No, no. And it, I think being a parent, I mean, it kind of makes you feel like more of a scavenger, which I feel that same, but in that, like, you know, I work in a kitchen and a professional kitchen um, and um whenever now they're they're used to having the food like the chefs and cooks like they can have whatever they want from the kitchen yes. but when I go in there for meetings and like oh we got this extra quart of tortilla soup you know who wants it I'm like give it to me you know <laughs> like, <laughs> um and I think just being open to that and I'm like okay and I got this quart of tortilla soup from work like I'll just make a salad to go with it and mm-hmm. you know in some ways I think not having a meal plan helps with my style of cooking because then I can say like, oh, okay, like, yeah, I'll take that. Or some nights we'll have really good, like, guavas coming off our tree. And like, we're going to make guava juice. And like, yeah, that's not like the greatest thing to have at night. But it's so, you know, it's fun. Like, I try to keep things a little bit surprising or interesting. And so I, I don't get bored. And I, I George think that's... has gone a lot for dinner. So it's just Jake and me yeah. a lot of times. <laughs> He's three and a half. Yeah. You know, just... whatever but it's true and I think that there's something really to be said there is like find what brings you joy and we talked actually a lot about that with fitness last month but I think it applies Mm -hmm. so much to this food stuff too is like if being inspired by local ingredients brings you joy then like what a cool way to support so many different things if if what it does is make you stressed out then perhaps there are better ways to like 
spend your time and energy, right? And I know there will be probably equal amount of folks who are listening who are like, I love cooking and indulging in this and feeling really good about where my food comes from and being inspired by the food. That's for me. And that's Mm -hmm. awesome. And then there will be other people who are like, I don't even like cooking at all. And I want to think about food less. And that's actually where things like my membership came from is like, how can I take what I've learned through doing all of these things and help people who would rather think about food less still feel good about feeding their family. Mm -hmm. And there's so many ways to do that. There, one of the other things that I find helpful for me is kind of putting artificial constraints on myself. Mm. Um, And for me, like knowing that I don't want to waste food is like that constraint. So if I get uh, a big thing of fruits and vegetables delivered on Thursday and then, you know, some meat on the weekends and I don't want to waste it. Like, I'm like, okay, well, this is what I'm using. And it can be tempting when, because I also go to Trader Joe's. Like, I get staples at Trader Joe's and Costco. Like, that's where I supplement, you know, our CSA. And yeah. from Just because those are our local grocery stores. Our tra- We don't have a Whole Foods right here. So um, it's so easy to be like, oh, well, this looks really easier. This looks really good. And, like, then I'm buying, like, you know, two clamshells of pre-sliced mushrooms and, you know, like the cauliflower rice and all that. And then I've still got to use all the other things. So I don't have like definite rules besides don't waste the food you already have. Yeah. But I do find that helpful because sometimes it's just overwhelming. There are so many like recipes to choose from there. And I think this is one of the reasons your group and like what you're doing is helpful because sometimes it's just, there's too much out there. Mm-hmm. And like, where do I, I find that overwhelming as someone who feels pretty comfortable in the kitchen. Um, so so I think like constraining yourself a little bit can, can really help. Even if you don't like cooking, it's like maybe even more overwhelming if you don't like, and you're like, good God, there's so much yes. out there, you know, I, I just need to pick one thing, one lane, I, you know, I, stay in my lane. Yes. As I was building my business, the thing I keep coming back to is like, people don't need more recipes. They're like, I don't know how many recipes on the internet, but there's gotta be like upwards of like hundreds of millions of recipes. So a recipe was your challenge, Mm -hmm. then none of us would have trouble eating healthy, right? It's like, it's actually like the abundance of options in so many cases or not knowing what you're doing or like not feeling comfortable. Like there are so many other failing points. So I love this idea of, and we actually talked about this, Emily and I, of like, what if your constraint was your superpower? And so in your case, like what if my things that I'm getting, this constraint inspires me to do better with the things that I'm making. Mm -hmm. But you also touched on something really important that I want to dig into a little bit more by way of conclusion, which is so many folks that come to me are like, I hate wasting food. And I think it's something we didn't necessarily talk about with this conscious purchasing. But I would say like one of the biggest things that all of us can do to have a bigger impact on the earth via our purchasing is to not buy things that are going to go to waste. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy in San Diego, there is enough food to feed like all the hungry people. Um, but it's really an issue of capture and being able to legally and efficiently recapture all this food that's going to waste, like both residentially and commercially, and then get it distributed to the people who need it. And when I, when I've taken the time to like educate myself about hunger in my local community, it definitely, um, yeah, makes me feel really grateful brings it really close to home. And that's something that, 
you know, we work on at work too. We keep waste logs, which, you know, some families I know do, um, just so you can see over time what you're wasting and kind of identify problem areas. You can find templates online, but it's as easy as just, you know, the date, what the item is and how much, like, that's a cool idea. Yeah. And then you can see, okay, I'm always wasting like this, or I make too much rice and then I have to throw it away on day five or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so we found that helpful both at, at work and we're working towards our B Corp certification. Nice. So you know, that's a metric you have to track, but also at home, you know, I, I do try to, I will, when I'm cleaning out the fridge, I'm like, Oh, whoops. Like no one liked that, you know, and I make a note, like that wasn't the best, the best thing. Cause it's just hard, especially we don't have composting here. Yeah. Um, and even in, in places where there is composting, like, composting's tough at large scale because mm. you have to maintain like these environment the right composting environments again I don't know the specifics but you know I don't think composting is the answer to waste either. right uh, I think that's a little bit of a misguided thing so you've talked about a couple of things on this interview and I just want to make sure I capture them here for like easy access for people to take action which is um you talked about like storing your foods in certain ways you said like take mm-hmm. the tops off and store them in breathable mesh bags and I can maybe you can share with me a link to the types of bags you like because I know people will be interested in that and I'll put that in the show notes um the other thing you said is like making sure that you're not buying more than you're going to use which I think is like the thing most people go to um yeah and then keeping track of the waste that you are having so that you have like objective data around like this is the thing I always waste or I always tell people like the kale that goes bad in your fridge it's not making you healthier anyways so it's like a matter of like good choices for the environment, but also like good choices for your budget. Like don't buy it if you're not going to eat it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and let's be honest about what that looks like. Are there any other ways that you've found, like in terms of like how you store grains or do you use your freezer? Like, how do you make sure that you like keep things for as long as possible? I know we have a mutual love of food safety. I know. I know. (laughs) I'm trying not to nerd out on it for the sake of everyone listening. (laughs) I know they're going to be sorry. They listened if we started on that. (laughs) Um, well, I, okay. A couple of things is not to be a proponent of stuff, but I really think a salad spinner mm. with a solid bottom is like an indispensable thing for limiting your food waste because one, you can use it like a colander, like it can be your colander for draining anything. Um, and I also store any sort of leafy greens, either ones I'm going to cook or ones that are ready to go, um, in the salad spinner with a little bit of water on the bottom and like that somewhat moist environment seems okay. to be really okay. good for them. And then it's just, it's like right there when you open your fridge and I just grab a handful. Let me make sure I'm clear. So you clean it first, you spin it, mm-hmm. and then you place a little bit of water under the colander part of the salad spinner just, and like, then leave, it, leave with it there. the lid on. I spin it and I don't drain that water that I Oh, spin got it. it. Okay. And then it the lid stays the on in your fridge. Mm-hmm. I, have the, okay. I have the OXO or OXO. I never know. That Is it brand the one. stainless steel one? It's just plastic. Okay, because I think I, like I have a stainless, stainless steel, steel version of theirs. It's really nice. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as yeah, well. Yeah, the stainless steel one is aspirational. I currently <laughs> have the plastic one. But I also use it to uh, wash veggies, like all sorts of veggies, you know, because you can just fill it with water and then pull it up. Um, so anything that's dirty. And and I just, I always think of having it in my fridge. It, like, occupies the same spot in the fridge all the time so that I always yeah. kind of have something in it, even if it's herbs or like collard greens that I'm going to cook. So I find that helpful. By the way, also, also a fantastic activity to have your kids help with. Like my four-year-old oh my gosh, obsessed with salad spinning. 
Yeah. So is Jake. And then, you know, I'll have it on the floor and I won't be paying attention yeah. to him and I'll look over and he's actually, you know, trying something. He'll like take a nibble and put it back in, which is why I'm like, this is why we can only eat our food. Because, <laughs> yes. But he'll try it because, you know, he's curious and he's, he has, so it's a super good kid activity. Um, and then I do freeze stuff like so you know those little silicone things that you freeze baby food in? Yes. Has like nine little spots yeah. when I have does. Are they the and round did, ones or the ice cube ones? They're kind of round. They're okay, because so people go crazy for those for instant pot use also. Oh, really? Okay. So, to make sous vide egg bites. That's a whole other conversation. Again, I'll link to this. <laughs> so mine is like nine compartments. And it holds probably, each one probably holds, I'd say like a third to a half of a cup. Um, and I did use them to freeze okay. baby food. Not like I made all the baby food, but I made some baby food. But now, basically, whenever I cook something and there's any sauciness left over that isn't going to get used, um, I just put it in one of those. Nice. And freeze it. And I don't, like, worry about lab- – you can label it. But I just – I'm like, okay, I've filled this with, like, two or three different sauce remnants of – chicken and protein other protein cooking and then when I'm cooking something like even if it's not meat like beans or grains that need like some flavor I just pop one of those out I don't really care what it is as long as it was good okay this is too creative even for me I'm gonna give the like disclaimer that for most of us this is beyond listen Shannon makes amazing food. So you, you've got it going on. But for me, I use similarly like silicone stuff, but I'll do like, I, I'll take like a chicken carcass and make chicken broth in the instant pot. And then I'll freeze that. And I always label mine because otherwise I'm going to end up putting like cranberry juice in something savory. So I feel like you have skills beyond what I can use, but I love this idea of like the leftover flavorful sauce and it keeps way longer. Cause like even chicken broth, when I make it, I know I'm not going to use it within the three to four days that it's still good. And so I'd rather like stick it in my freezer and be like, here are my chicken broth cubes that I can like pop out and use over time. And that reduces the waste in our houses. Like the freezer Freezers were invented to be long-term storage, right? And so and, I love the idea and, of that. Um, fat. I would say I keep some things longer. Like I do, I will keep chicken stock like a week, week and a half, mm. as long as I leave a layer of fat on it. Oh. And I do, because it's the same technique as, conf- yeah, so you like, can. Like pesto or something, where they, you mm-hmm. do that too, right? Like add yep. olive oil I to the top. pour extra olive oil on top. What's the I know you're not a scientist, but like, what is the dynamic of that? Is it just like that the fat oxidizes less than so like it protects it from the air? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's almost like saran wrap, like olden day Mm -hmm. saran wrap. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's in the fridge. It it holds it, you know, like you can keep confit, like things that are cooked in oil and fat for a really long time. And um, I've not had a problem with that. And pickling also is a way like literally not fancy pickling, just like pouring vinegar and salt and sugar over things and shaking it up, like cut up veggies. Yeah. Um, I do that a lot because I can get Jake to eat pickled vegetables. And I use the term pickled really loosely because I literally just like pour in a little apple cider vinegar and nice. a little salt sometimes. And that's it. And stuff lasts longer. If you do that, like I can get maybe a week out of like cucumbers if I poured some stuff on them. Yeah. Like that. 
That's awesome. I did a Facebook Live a while back, like this summer, and I'll link to that as well, um, where I interviewed a woman who runs a heritage food company or like a heritage oh, – cool. It wasn't just food, but like it's in Carpinteria. So I was there on vacation and I interviewed her and she had this really cool recipe that I am still going to tell myself to try out for crunchy carrots Mm -hmm. that her kids love, which was just like, it was a combo of water and salt, I think. And she, so she was like lacto fermenting them and her kids call them squishy carrots. And so she leaves them out like a week in that mixture and then they're preserved. And, um, and then her kids, like they're kind of, they're not as crunchy as regular carrots. So they love them Mm because they're easier to eat, but there was no cooking involved and they stay a really long time. And I thought that was a cool idea because it's, it's a way I don't often think of, I'll be like, Oh, I'll steam this or even I'll microwave it. But I'm never like, I'll just add a little salt and water and use the natural path Mm -hmm. to preserving. Yeah. The salt, the lacto or vinegar. I mean, I find vinegar to be a flavor kids. A lot of kids like kind of in the same way that kids like to like suck on lemons and limes. Yeah. um, Sometimes. So I try to like have that flavor profile because it seems to make things more appealing. Yeah. Connor, my one-year-old was like sucking on a lime the other day and I felt sort of bad, but I wasn't forcing him to. And he kept like sucking on it and then like making this face and then sucking on it. And then they do it again. I don't know what you're doing over there. I know. I know. I feel like it's good though. You know, it's a good bitter and sour flavors I think are important to try to introduce. So Nice. So by way of wrap up, I know one of the things we talked about at the beginning is giving people like something really actionable that they can take away. And hopefully by listening mm-hmm. to this interview, everyone has identified something they can do. But if you were to like send folks out in the world who are just starting to think more about the food that they're buying about, you know, how they might be wasting it or where it comes from or what its impact on the world is. Like what would be your number one tip for something everyone can go do tomorrow when they go to the grocery store to make more conscious purchasing decisions? Uh, I, you know, even in grocery stores, like everywhere now there, you can find things that are produced locally and Mm. I'd say it's not always going to be produce. It might be like, seafood or a certain type of grain and I would just say to try to or even something like a, a food product like a vinegar or oil that's yeah. made uh, I'd say just try to source something that's from like near where you live and like feel excited about it um, because you're like supporting your local economy and it just it just feels good to bring something closer to home or even like random eggs yeah you know I, I love that example because I bought like a thing of um, grainy, like stone ground mustard the other day. And instead of purchasing the like 365 brand, I bought one mm-hmm. that's made in Seattle with Jacobson yes. salt. And, oh, it's so cool. and it was such a cool example because I was like, oh, I feel really good about this. And it wasn't, it was more expensive, but it wasn't so much more expensive. Right. And, and it'll last. I, it was cool to be like, oh, I'm noticing like the flavor of this is really different and mm-hmm. more dynamic than what I normally use. And I feel good about it. And it's in this cute little jar and just kind of yeah. like going through all of the experience of that made me think like I would do that again like maybe next time I buy hot sauce I will buy something local instead of mm-hmm. buying like the Tabasco that we always purchase yeah it just I feel like keeping the joy in the cooking or like yeah. trying to find a little bit of it is helpful and you know you can look at resources like slow food USA for local foods like in your cool. area heritage producers not just of produce and protein of like food products too. Yeah. Or maybe wine. 
you know. Yeah, Ooh, I would like <laughs> local wine. It's too early, I guess. <laughs> We're recording this in the morning, but if you're not re- listening yeah. to this in the morning, then perhaps it's you can treat yourself somewhere. to some local wine, <laughs> which is like popping up everywhere now. And I think yeah. it's just like a perfect beer, cider. A perfect example of how all of us can make more conscious purchasing decisions, even if you're not going to cook everything from scratch. Right. Yes. So thank you, Shannon, for being on today. I super appreciate it. And I had so much fun chatting with you. If folks have questions, I would love for them to pop onto our Facebook page, Real Food Talk with Real Parents. I'll include a link to that. And you can let us know what questions you'd like us to explore more. But like we kind of teased out here today, we are going to have a soil health expert on and we are going to be talking a little bit more about the dynamics of things like what is a free range versus a pastured egg? Because that's something I'm that's really awesome. passionate about helping people understand yeah. better. Um, so listen in the next couple of weeks. We'll be exploring this in more detail. And I'm just so honored, Shannon, to have you on today, to have you share your knowledge and to have you help people identify like one thing that they can start doing a little bit differently to feel better about how they buy their food. My pleasure. Happy cooking. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening.